0: Listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Guntlach. and as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You'll also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business, great singers and great singing. and welcome to Counter Melody. We have a birthday to celebrate today. It's George Shirley. He was born April 18th, 1934, which makes today his 87th birthday. I offer this episode in tribute to an artist who, as I shall relate, influenced me enormously in my very young years.
1: A lad with folly on my lips Fain was I for journeying all the seas in ships But now across the southern swell Every dawn I hear The little streams of dune are running clear Little streams of doom are running clear. When I was a young man, before my beard was grey, all to ships and sailor men I gave my heart. I'm weary of the foam and the little stars of
0: The performance that you just heard was a recording from 1973 of a song by the composer Josephine McGill called Duna. Josephine McGill was a composer and ethnomusicologist who researched and collected the songs of the southern Appalachian region. Duna has more nautical references, and at one point I think it was a very popular song. Certainly at the time George Shirley recorded this, it was no longer in the forefront of people's awareness. But when there is a singer with as much refinement, technique, gorgeous tone and commitment to expressivity as George Shirley. It is a joy to encounter a piece such as this. George Shirley was born in Indianapolis and grew up in a musical household. At the age of five, he won a radio contest singing a song of Bing Crosby's. While he remained interested in and studied music, his intention was never to pursue a career in opera. However, by a series of happy accidents, or as my dear friend Janet Williams would call it, serendipity, he ended up getting drafted into the U.S. Army and from there. He auditioned for and was accepted as the first black member of the U.S. Army Chorus. While he was in the chorus, he began studying with a voice teacher in Washington, D.C. One thing led to another very, very quickly, and by 1959, he had made his operatic debut. The following year came his European operatic debut as Rodolfo in La Boheme. But let me tell you about how I first became acquainted with George Shirley. I was a 10-year-old child, and I was obsessed with the recording that Pierre Boulez had made of Peleas et Melisande, which I had discovered on the shelves of the Jamesville Public Library in Wisconsin. I believe that recording spent more time in our house checked out by yours truly than it did on the shelves of the Janesville Public Library. This music is still music that I cannot hear without becoming extremely, shall we say, emotional. I'm going to offer you an extended excerpt from Act 3, Scene 1, the scene in which Peleas pays an evening visit to Melisande, who is combing out her hair, as he climbs the tower from which she is looking out, her long hair falls over the edge of the tower, and Peleas has an ecstatic experience finding himself enveloped in her hair. This recording originated from a production at Covent Garden in 1969. Pierre Boulez was making his second major foray into opera after having conducted Wozzeck at the Paris Opera several years before. George Shirley was ideally cast as Peleas, and the Swedish soprano Elisabeth Söderström is his Mélisande. I must say that all three of these artists went on to occupy a major part in my development as a musician, a singer, and an artist. (laughs) As I say, George Shirley was ideally cast as Peleas, but he also sang roles, especially at the beginning of his career, interestingly, that were much heavier than one might have imagined. For instance, In the episode that I did on Margaret Tynes a few months ago, I featured an excerpt from a live performance from Spoleto of her singing the title role in Richard Strauss's Salome, in which George Shirley sang not the role of Narabot, as one might have perhaps imagined, but rather the role of Herod. At this point, I should mention that I am also doing a bonus episode on George Shirley for my Patreon subscribers. If you're interested in gaining access to that, please go to patreon.com countermelody And you can support me at any level from $2 on up and gain access to all 16 of the bonus episodes that I have so far posted. One of the excerpts in the George Shirley bonus episode is... A portion of that Salome recording. Other largish roles that George Shirley sang were Oedipus in Oedipus Rex, which he recorded with Igor Stravinsky himself in 1963, Alva in the US premiere in Santa Fe of Alban Berg's Lulu. Don José in Carmen, which we'll be hearing in a few minutes, and at the very beginning of his career, perhaps most surprisingly, Bacchus in Ariadne of Naxos. I found a live recording from the Washington Opera Society of the final scene between Ariadne and Bacchus. I'm going to play just a very short portion of it for you. You can hear how easily he manages the extreme highs of this role, and with a voice that has a wonderful baritonal timbre, but also great gleaming and easy high notes. His Ariadne here is the soprano Joanna Neal. I had not heard of her before, but I discovered that she premiered the soprano part in Krzysztof Penderecki's Oratorio Cosmogonia, which was written for the 25th anniversary of the United Nations in 1970. That's just one of the things that she did. I like her very much. I hope you do too. In 1961, George Shirley became the first African-American tenor to sing at the Metropolitan Opera and one of the very first black artists to be placed under contract there. He made his debut as Ferrando in Così fan tutte, and in 1968, he recorded the role opposite Leontine Price. While Leontine Price was clearly the raison d'être for this recording, I think it's a surprisingly effective performance, and George Shirley is one of the real highlights. By the way, the other women in the cast are Tatiana Troianos in a very early outing and Judith Raskin, who we will hear a little bit later in this episode. This is a portion of the duet between Ferrando and ligi in which after trying and trying to resist his charms, she finally finds herself giving in to him, and they sing with apparent joy about their happiness, and yet we know in the case of each of the characters, they are experiencing enormous surges of conflicting emotion. Erich Leinstorf conducts the new Philharmonia Orchestra in this Grammy-winning recording. Certainly, George Shirley became most celebrated, I would say, for his Mozart portrayals. In the Met's inaugural season in its new home at Lincoln Center, George Shirley sang the role of Tamino in the brand spanking new production of Die Zauberflöte, which was designed and painted by Marc Chagall. This remained an active production for many years. Here is a brief excerpt from the reunion of Tamino and Pamina. Tamino mein, o welch ein Glück. Josef Kripps is the conductor. And Judith Raskin, another singer who I adore with all of my being, is Pamina. About this performance and about George Shirley's singing of Mozart in general. I want to say that I love hearing a voice where you hear the humanity of the singer. And I think that is so much the case in the singing of both George Shirley and the divine Judith Raskin. Another role which George Shirley sang at the Met and with which he became very closely identified was Pinkerton in Madama Butterfly. There exists a live broadcast from the Met opposite Renata Scotto as Butterfly. I'm going to give you an excerpt from the love duet at the end of Act 1, not from that performance, but rather from a few years earlier in Buenos Aires at the Teatro Colón. Once again, Scotto is the butterfly. George Shirley is, I dare say, greatly inspired by her extraordinary portrayal. And the conductor is Pedro Ignacio Calderón, who was a very important figure in Argentinian musical life. This performance took place on the 15th of May, 1964. George Shirley clearly sang with the very greatest of singers. We've already heard him partnered with Lisbeth Söderstrom, Leontine Price, Judith Raskin, Renata Scotto, and even earlier in his career, in 1962, he appeared as Don José in Carmen, opposite none other than Shirley Verrett, who was making her operatic debut in these performances. Thomas Shippers is conducting. We're going to hear the very end of the opera, in which I must say, sparks fly between George Shirley and Shirley Ferret. This performance took place in Spoleto in July
1: 1962. (Song) I am a oh, me, yeah,
0: mentioned that George Shirley did a good deal of work with Igor Stravinsky. He recorded Renard with him. He recorded Pulcinella with him. He recorded Oedipus Rex with him and with Shirley Verrett. And by the way, for my Patreon subscribers, you can hear the duet. From that very recording with George Shirley and Shirley Verrett and Igor Stravinsky conducting on the bonus episode. But now back to the here and now. Another role which George Shirley sang, albeit I believe less frequently, the role of Umolpe in Stravinsky's fascinating hybrid work Persephone, Persephone. This recording took place at the Hollywood Bowl in the summer of 1968, and we hear one of the very high-lying passages from the role of Humolp. Persephone is portrayed by a ballerina, who also speaks. In this concert performance, she was portrayed by Yvette Mimieux. We hear Paul Forverk conducting the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> Another role in which George Shirley made a very strong impression was as Mephistopheles in Ferruccio Busoni's opera Dr. Faust. This opera was incomplete at the time of Busoni's death in 1924, and it was completed by his student Philippe Jarnach in December 1964. The work was given its U.S. premiere, Jascha Horenstein was conducting the American Opera Society. What's interesting about the roles in Dr. Faust is that, unlike in the Gounod version, Faust is a baritone, and Mephistopheles is not a bass baritone at all, but a high-lying tenor. Here's an excerpt from Mephistopheles' scene with the students from the second part of Dr. Faust. By the way, we'll hear another live excerpt from George Shirley at Carnegie Hall from around this same time in the bonus episode, so tune in there, folks. George Shirley was a great favorite at Covent Garden. We've already heard at the very top of the episode that unforgettable Peleas. Two years prior to those performances, he sang the role of Don Ottavio in Don Giovanni. This was a role he did quite frequently. And when you hear this live performance conducted by Colin Davis from the summer of 1967, you're going to understand why he was so sought after in this part. Hey! George Shirley, after those initial forays into some of the heavier repertoire, found his true niche, I would say, in the more lyric tenor parts. For instance... In February 1969, he returned to Covent Garden for performances of Die Meistersinger von Nürnberg under the baton of Georg Scholti. But he did not take on the role of Walter, but rather the role of the apprentice David. And how rare it is, may I say, to hear this part sung with such vocal beauty. I have a brief excerpt from the first act of the opera, the vaulter in this recording is the American tenor Jess Thomas, who also was in his vocal prime at the time of these performances. <laughs>
1: You'll never find was mir Oh he was
0: There's a wonderful baritonal quality to George Shirley's voice, which I have remarked upon and which you, my listeners, have probably already remarked upon yourselves. The other thing that was, to my ear, really extraordinary about this artist is, well, there are a few things. One is as we heard in the Il Mio Tesoro, was his extraordinary ability to sing rapid fire and very clean coratura, with a very, very long breath line. The conductor in that performance was Colin Davis, who the following year engaged George Shirley to record the title role of Mozart's Idomeneo with him. The next excerpt I'm going to play for you is a bit of a mashup of two different performances that George Shirley did, one live, one studio, that George Shirley did of the title role of Idomeneo. In the summer of 1974, he sang the role on stage at Glyndebourne with John Pritchard leading the London Philharmonic Orchestra, which is the pit band at Glyndebourne imagine that. So we're going to hear the restative leading up to the big showpiece aria For del Mar. That portion is from the Glyndebourne performance. Then for the For del Mar, I'm cutting to the studio recording with Colin Davis from several years prior, 1968. By the way, as you're listening to this, I want you to also pay close attention to the way in which George Shirley responds to the rhetorical nature of this opera seria text, delivering it on a very grand scale, and yet with also a sense of the real inner conflict of the character. I, I just love what he does here.
1: Have you?
0: that I'm playing for you, the voice remained remarkably consistent, even through his early 60s. In the early 1980s, George Shirley began appearing with some frequency at the Deutsche Oper Berlin. In 1984, he appeared as Pluton in a New Year's Day performance of Jacques Offenbach's Orphée aux Enfers, or Orpheus der Unterwelt. In this excerpt, we hear the aria Heureuse Divinité qui folatrée with Jesus Lopez Cobos conducting the orchestra of the Deutsche Oper Berlin.
1: Heureuse Divinité qui folatrée sans <laughs> sous les cieux toujours bleus J'ai que je suis condamné au sang de du royaume
0: offer you a few recordings of George Shirley singing art songs. In 1973, he participated in a recording of songs by the Austrian-American composer Karl Weigel, who had emigrated to the United States in 1938 and died here in 1949. The pianist David Garvey who, of course, for many years was Leontine Price's primary accompanist assembled a star-studded lineup of singers, each of whom performed a few Karl songs. Unfortunately, this recording did not originate from my collection, and the sound is really poor. Otherwise, I would offer you several songs from this collection, because the songs are beautiful, and the playing and singing are absolutely wonderful. I am going to play you a setting of a poem called Seele, Soul, to a text by Gustav Falke Dämmerung löscht die letzten Lichter und die Erde will nun schlafen aber ruhelos bist du steuerst aus dem stillen Hafen deinen Sternen zu Twilight is putting out the last lights and the night encloses all life closer and closer unto itself The earth wants to fall asleep but you are sleepless, out of the quiet port you steer towards your stars. In 1973, George Shirley made a series of recordings for Music Minus One. It was part of their so-called Laureate series. These recordings are now nearly impossible to get your hands on, but I was so lucky to find a distributor in the UK who sent them on to me So a special shout out to Forsyth's Music Shop in Manchester, and specifically to Ryan, who, when one of the discs arrived broken, expedited the shipment of the one replacement copy that they still had in stock, so that I would have it in time for this birthday episode. So I'm going to be able to offer, both at the end of this episode and to an even greater extent on the bonus episode, several excerpts from these very interesting recordings. First there is the Alessandro Scarlatti song Sono unite a tormentarmi Proud fate and cruel love are united to torment me They wage war on my heart not with weapons but with flattery The pianist in this series of recordings is Wayne Sanders
1: Son unite a tormentar- a sorte.
0: In this series, George Shirley included two songs by the wonderful composer Howard Swanson. Those of you who are regular listeners may remember that I played a wonderful song of his sung by the soprano Helen Thigpen on one of my Black History Month episodes. Here I offer you the very short but ecstatic setting by Howard Swanson of the Langston Hughes poem, Joy.
1: Joy, slim dancing joy, gay laughing joy, bright eyed <laughs> joy. And I found her, I found her driving the butcher's cart in the arms of a butcher boy. Such company. Such company, such company as keeps this young nymph.
0: We had spoken earlier, or at least I had spoken earlier, about George Shirley's exemplary diction, and also about the baritonal timbre that made him such an ideal Peleas, for example, and gave real depth and weight to his portrayals of the Mozart heroes. In 1976, he participated in a live performance in Milano of Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. He's Truly an exceptional voice here, I've chosen to include the portion of the piece, which is the setting of the Wilfred Owen poem, Move Him Into the Sun. In the interspersed portions of the Latin requiem mass, we hear the soprano Ilva Ligabue, Fernando Previtali conducting the orchestra and chorus of the Rai in Milano. George Shirley has spent decades as an educator and supporter of young talent, including a decades-long association with the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor where he is now a professor emeritus. To close today's episode, I found a very moving clip of George Shirley speaking about the legacy of spirituals and why he held off for so many years in performing them, followed by his performance with the distinguished African-American coach and accompanist Sylvia Lee of that extraordinary spiritual arranged by Roland Hayes' little boy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, George Shirley, for all these years of service and devotion and sharing of your extraordinary talent that you have given to the world. We are very much in your debt, and we are thrilled to celebrate with you on this, your 87th birthday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, here's George Shirley.
2: When I started my career as an opera singer and as a recitalist, I purposely eschewed the performance of spirituals for a number of years. Why? Because I knew everybody expected me to sing them. And I've taken great pride, I trust it's not false pride, but pride in not doing what people expect me to do, especially when it enters the realm of race. So I purposely left spirituals off of my programs for a while, but I knew that I had to come back to them because it was great music. There was a cartoon drawn by the late E. Sims Campbell that I've never, never forgotten, which was published in the 1950s. It Sort of illustrates visually what I'm talking about. The 50s were a time when the faculties of some universities in this country began to desegregate. And this cartoon shows a distinguished looking black gentleman in a conference room at a university, and there are a number of white males at the table, and one of these gentlemen, who's evidently the chair of whatever committee this happens to be, is addressing the black gentleman who's standing there with a rather perplexed look on his face with a sheaf of papers in his hand. And the statement goes something like this. Now, Professor Jones, before you read us your paper on the effects of nuclear fission, blah, 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 how about a good old spiritual? (laughs) So I decided, for a period of time at least, not to program spirituals on my recitals. But as I said, I had to come back to the spiritual because it's great music. The spiritual that I'll sing for you today, the one that became Roland Hayes' signature, is entitled Little Boy. And it depicts Jesus meeting in the synagogue with the elders. My orchestra on this occasion is a lady who's Not unknown to many of you, Miss Sylvia Lee.
1: (laughs)
0: Friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Budloff.